Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're glad you're here tonight. And uh, we're praying tonight that this service would encourage our hearts and build us up in the Word of God's grace here this evening. Uh, while you're standing, I'm going to ask all the men once again. We've had activity all week here, but we're going to need to ask the men if you'll help us to stack the chairs up, seven chairs at a, uh, per cha- uh, for each, each set there uh, right after service tonight so we can roll these away and have the, the whole area cleared out for tomorrow and Friday there, and that would be a big help to us. First Thessalonians 5, let's go to verse 16, and uh, actually verse 17, and we'll read to verse 19. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, quench not the spirit. Tonight I call your attention to verse 17. We're looking at the second of five practices that Paul encourages about so that the spirit of God is not quenched in our life. And simply three words, pray without ceasing. Now Lord, tonight we are thankful that we get a chance to study the word. I look at the congregation that's assembling right now. Thank you for those here that this week have given themselves to helping in kids camp. And I know they've put a lot of time and effort. I pray that in their weariness that you give them rejuvenation and strength. We claim Isaiah 40, 31 for our lives, that as we wait upon you this evening, that we would mount it with wings as eagles, that we would run and not grow weary, that we'd walk and not faint. God, give strength and energy. Help us tonight to understand the principle of what it means to pray without ceasing and how to apply that to our lives. And that, Lord, that we would just have this, this attitude, this disposition that Paul speaks of here, and even that he practiced himself, and that, God, we would recognize the importance that this is the norm of the Christian life that you want us to attain to. And help us this evening, whether child or teenager or college, student or adult, that all of us this evening recognize this is, this is a practice that is needed for a vibrant and thriving Christian life. We commit our weakness to you tonight and your power for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This past Sunday morning, we've been, Sunday morning for the last several months, we've been going through this series entitled Nothing But the Truth, and we're just kind of preaching through the Gospel of John and just some vital truths that we need to be reminded of. And uh, this past Sunday, we saw from John 14, John 15, and John 16, uh, the subject of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the message, if you were here Sunday morning, was entitled basically The Comforters Come. And some things I said about that kind of gives us a segue into tonight's message, but we said that the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit indwells us at the time of conversion. We're thankful for that tonight, that the moment we get saved, that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, and then he becomes the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest means that he is the down payment, if you would, uh, of the future of uh, the future fact that we will be in heaven and will attain a state of glorification. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. The word comforter means the one who comes right next to us, the one who stays with us, the one who never leaves us. It talks about him being our friend and that, that person who's with us all the time. He spoke about the Holy Spirit as being the spirit of truth and the teacher who teaches us all things. And so with that, we understand the importance of walking in the Spirit. Now the Bible commands us in, the, in Galatians 5 and really alludes to it throughout all the epistles, the importance of walking in the Spirit. Paul said that, that our flesh fights with the Spirit and our spirit with the flesh. The way he put it for us in Galatians chapter 5 is that the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And he said these two are contrary one to the other. And so we have to realize that the moment we can wake up every morning, there's a battle going on. Our flesh wants to be in control of us, but the Spirit wants us to live for Christ. And so we must walk in the Spirit. And we must understand that we must watch and pray lest we enter to temptation because the Bible says the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So walking in the Spirit is the 
norm for every Christian. Walking in the Spirit is God's will for our life. Can you hear an amen about that? Amen? It's God's will for your life and mine. It is not an option to, to be considered. It's a command to be fulfilled. Now, walking in the Spirit, we must understand that this relationship of the Holy Spirit in our life is the fact that when He lives in us, the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God wants us to realize his, that sense His presence all the time. And in sensing that presence, there's, a, there's this aspect of the Christian life that we must walk in the Spirit there. Now, when we walk in the Spirit, there's, there must be evidence of that. There must be evidence of that. There must be fruit in that context. We'll be talking about that Sunday morning in John chapter 15 about the fruit in our Christian lives. And he talks about here that, that there must be the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. We know about that from Galatians chapter 5. But we're not only commanded to have the fruit of the Spirit, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Our, our bodies, if you would, our lives are to be, our souls to be a container whereby we are filled with the Spirit. Now the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit are two different two different things. All of us have the indwelling, but all of us do not have a complete filling of the Holy Spirit. A lot of us are running on near empty sometimes. And uh, when we are filled, what a wonderful thing when we're filled with the Spirit. In fact, we don't even realize we're filled with the Spirit because the Spirit of God controls us in such a way. If you ever get a chance, I hope that you'd read the biographies of men like John Praying Hyde and men like David Brennard and, uh, and just how it's astounding these men, even in their young ages, how they were so filled with the Spirit of God. To read about uh, D.L. Moody and how, how he was so impressed and got the life, the transformation God made in his life somewhere off of Wall Street in New York uh, when he got filled with the Spirit of God. He understood what it really meant to have the filling of the Spirit there. And so we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is essential for power in service. Now, notice this. The Holy Spirit is, is affected by our response to him. I'm saying all this as a, as a lead into tonight's message. The Holy Spirit is affected by our response to him. Now, when the Holy Spirit's at work in you and me, we respond to him. And please listen very carefully because sometimes we get so used to being in church and being taught the Word of God or preach the Word of God. We just have the same, we're kind of in this auto motion. And this auto motion, we just kind of respond to it. But we must understand because the Spirit of God lives in us and because of the fact that God, God is working us and God wants to change our lives, like the mystery talked about from Romans chapter 12, this transformation, we must understand this evening that, that there, there is a, there's a proper response and there's an improper response. Now, a lot of times, this is what, this is what the Bible teaches us about how we sometimes or a lot of times respond to the Spirit. Did you know this evening that the, that the Holy Spirit is affected when we resist Him? Acts chapter 7, verse 51, Paul, John, Stephen, the preacher, said, Ye do always resist the Spirit of God. I like to use that with Calvinists. I like to tell those who are persuaded about Calvinism, they say, well, God has chosen us. I say, listen, you have a choice to, to accept Christ or resist Jesus Christ. And those people, those Jews that Stephen preached to, they resisted the Holy Spirit. Hey, there are times when we give the Holy Spirit pushback. And you know what I mean by that. You know the Holy Spirit is moving on you to give an extra offering. He's moving on you to make a major decision. He's moving on your life to quit a certain habit or to deal with a sin in your life. He's speaking to you, but you put it off and you're resisting him. Listen, it's a sin to resist the Holy Spirit of God. We respond to the Holy Spirit sometimes. He's affected by the fact that we can lie to him. He's affected by lies. We're told that in Acts chapter 5 verse 3. Uh, Peter, Peter went to Ananias and Sapphira and, says, and told them they were lying to the Holy Spirit of God. He's affected when we grieve him. Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is very, very, very touched and moved in, in a grievous way when our spirit's not right and when our anger's out of control and when there's wrath in our life and when we morph into this totally different person because of rage and wrath and, and there's clamor where we're just, there's outcries from our life that are not appropriate 
for the Christian life. And when there's unkindness and unforgiveness, he's affected by that. He's affected by the fact when we quench him, as we see here, look at chapter 5, verse 19. Quench not the Spirit of God. And as we look at the subject of the quenching Spirit of God, which is a whole different message to itself, the quenching of the Spirit of God is a real event that happens in our lives. The quenching of the Holy Spirit is when uh, the, the fire is put out. There's an extinguishing of the flame. There's a fire that God has started. I'm thinking about our teenagers who will be in camp next week. And I remember as a young person going to camp, that camp was a wonderful time when, when God would use the speaker to speak to our hearts. I mean, when you get preaching two or three times a day and you're there for five consecutive days, I mean, God is starting to work through you about that second night there, about that third day. I mean, God is working all over you and the preacher's just being very sensitive of what message to bring and they're bringing message about maybe some sin or something going on in our life or some area of dedication and the will of God. And you know how it is. He's just, there's a liberty of the Holy Spirit that God gives and the camp workers are praying and you can see that there's a fire started and there's nothing more exciting than you get to the end of a week when there's a campfire time or testimony time and at the end of the week all these teenagers are on fire for God. I mean they're all popping up like popcorn and they're giving testimonies and they're saying things and you know as an adult you sit there and say praise God for them. I'm just excited but there's a part of you that if you've been to camp you, you're a little bit, you're a little bit uh, uh, just concerned. You're saying man I wonder how long the fire is going to last and I hope the fire lasts long. And you know what I mean by that. You get back here and it's just like going to any preaching conference after revival meeting. The fire's there and then the next distraction comes, and when the distraction comes, the fire starts to dissipate there. How many have been that road? Amen? The Bible says to us tonight, quench not the Spirit. Holy Spirit's affected by the fact that sometimes we extinguish His flame. In Matthew 25, 8, the five foolish virgins said, our lamps have gone out. What they meant by that, that the fire went out. It's the same word that's used for quenching. They had no oil. They had no combustible substance in their lamps. They ran out of oil. The fire went out. They quenched the Spirit. Hey, when there's a quenching of the Spirit in life, that puts us at a spiritual disadvantage or even more so we're at high spiritual risk for attack. The quenching of the Spirit represents no oil, no breath, no power, no influence. The quenching of the Spirit indicates a serious deficiency in our spiritual life. Listen, tonight, we, we, we need to pray and we need to work towards fulfilling the Spirit, but equally so as we are working, we're praying for God's power in our life, we must be cautious of the fact that there could be the quenching of the Spirit. We can put out that fire very, very quickly there. And so tonight, we, last week, we started this, this looking at this, this section of 1 Thessalonians. And we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 20, where Paul makes reference to five important practices that are essential for, for not quenching the Spirit. Five essential practices that will enable us and help us from keeping the Spirit from being quenched. We saw number one last week in verse 16, the importance of rejoicing always. He said rejoice evermore. In other words, being a constant state of rejoicing, whether good or bad, up or down, things are going well, you're in tribulation. He says rejoice evermore. Now I don't know about you, but that's a, that's, for me, that's a, that's a challenge every day because you just never know what's going to hit you and you don't know if you've got some weak spot that's been open and the, and the devil is going to take a moment to shoot a fiery dart at that weak spot there. And I'm saying tonight, not only is rejoicing evermore a necessity, but notice in verse 17, praying without ceasing is a necessity. Now as we look at the subject, and I hear the questions we want to address. What does he mean by praying without ceasing? And how do you pray without ceasing? And uh, what, what are the hindrances that get in the way there? And we're going to look at all that tonight. We're going to look at the subject of what it means to pray without ceasing. Notice number one tonight, I want us to start off by looking at the hindrances to praying without ceasing. I want us to notice the hindrances to praying without ceasing. Now tonight, this is the Wednesday night group. You've heard many messages on prayer. 
I believe for the most part, this is a praying group of people. I believe for the most part, everybody here, in fact, I, not even for the most part, I believe everybody here knows we're supposed to pray. Amen? And I believe everybody here at least took some time, at least one time this week, to pray. Now, prayer is to the soul what breathing is to human life. We must look at proper analogies. And as breathing is important for living, uh, for our physical life, uh, prayer, prayer is the same for our spiritual life. We must see prayer as the spiritual breath of our life. Now, prayer is our vital link to God. We must recognize the importance of prayer. Prayer is not just something we must consider doing. Prayer must be something that we are doing. Prayer is our means of worshiping God. Prayer is the indispensable secret to a spirit-filled life. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask of Him? We're to pray for power. We're to pray for God to reveal in our lives the things that are crowding out the Spirit of God and get His filling. Uh, prayer is the exercise of faith. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and reward them that diligently seek Him. I really believe with all my heart as I study James chapter 2 when it talks about faith without works and so forth there. I believe this faith without works is indicating a prayerless life because of the huge emphasis that James makes about, uh, about prayer there throughout that whole book there. And faith, faith is best exercised through prayer. We exercise faith by coming to God and praying for things that are impossible there. Prayer is asking God. Prayer is the key God has given us to unlock his blessings. Prayer is the key that unlocks heaven's door for us. Prayer is our vital weapon against the devil and the demons of hell. We know over in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Bible says praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit for all saints. We know that prayer combined with the armor of God are essential weapons for fighting the devil. Prayer is how we express our confidence in God's power and God's greatness. And listen tonight, more important than prayer changing things is that prayer changes us. Amen? More important than prayer changes things, prayer must change us. Now a lot of times people say prayer works, prayer works. My, 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 my advice to that would be this, or my counsel to that would be, let's make sure prayer is working in our life. Amen? Because more important than God answering our prayers is that God is changing our life there. And so when we do not pray, when we do not pray enough, when we do not pray without ceasing, we're in a state of failure and the Holy Spirit is quenched. Look again in our passage. It says, pray without ceasing, and then it says, quench not the Spirit of God. So there's a correlation. More prayer, more power. More prayer, more fire. No prayer, no fire. No prayer, no filling of the Holy Spirit. We have to equate the fact that, that the quenching of the Holy Spirit is related to no prayer. Now let's look at some hindrances tonight because I think it's important for us to consider what are the things that hinder us from having, having a life where there's praying, where, where we're constantly in the state of prayer. Number one, would you write this down? Iniquity is a hindrance to prayer. Iniquity is a hindrance to praying without ceasing. Now what do we mean by that? Well, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We know that. If there's sin in our heart, we're wasting our time praying. Amen? I mean, you got sin, unconfessed sin that you're, that's not being dealt with. We are wasting our time trying to pray and ask God to intervene when we've got this sin in our life. Sin or iniquity is a major hindrance. Notice Proverbs 28.9. What a great verse. Proverbs 28.9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. That's pretty strong. I think Solomon probably realized there were times in his life, and perhaps in his son's life, Rehoboam, when he turned his ear away from hearing the law. And he said, Son, if you turn your ear away, if you're disobedient to God, and you don't hear his word, and you are living in sin, he says, your prayer is an abomination before God. Now, just we want to pause about that for a minute, because if that's what God says about our praying, that we must consider that we must start our praying, our, our prayer 
prayer time by evaluating and examining our hearts and making sure our sins are being confessed. Iniquity is a hindrance. Notice number two, indifference is a hindrance. Every Christian battles with the sin of indifference. Indifferent means you do not care. You're apathetic. You're not bothered. You have no desire. Nothing bothers you. One of the, one of the fears of our generation is all these different, different types of entertainment, these, uh, these video games that boys play on, and, and the excess amount of violence and things that desensitize people's concerns and cares and, and violent crimes and things of this nature that don't bother people. I mean, when you're when indifferent and apathetic, that's a very, very serious state to be in. Think of the prayer page we give out every week, and we gave out tonight with some vital prayer requests. Think of the prayer page we give out every week. Let me ask you, this question. Are you moved in your heart about the requests that are placed on it? Are you bothered in your heart about those requests that are not bolded on it? Did you even think about these requests in the last seven days since we last met about praying for them? Uh, Think with me tonight about members of our church who listed their prayer requests. When you see that member does something pop up in their mind, you look at Brother Anthony Cried, you think about his father who's recovering from surgery. And I look at others around here. I think of when I look at the the Chan family, are you you concerned about Jamin's condition? And I'm not putting a guilt trip on anybody saying that you're bad Christian, whatever. I'm just saying tonight, it's very easy for us to fall into this, this status of indifference where we just don't care about things, okay? Now, when we get to that place of indifference, we need to understand that most likely though when indifference sets in, we get to the place where we're indifferent about prayer. Here's what happens. Someone preaches about prayer. We read a passage about prayer. We read a prayer in the Bible, and uh, really, we don't, but we don't pray. It doesn't bother us. Or, or maybe we, we, we know that we need to pray, but we go weeks on end and time, days after days after day in our, our prayer life. We're just kind of slipping things in. And we're really indifferent about the fact that we know we could pray more. We know that there's more we could do, but we're not doing that. Hey, I wonder tonight if we're indifferent about praying about our missionaries. Thank God we have a missions conference to kind of toggle our, joggle our mind a little bit and remind us about our missionaries. But are we even bothering our hearts about the great needs our missionaries have? And I'm thinking of a lot of our missionaries right now. They're just, there's a lot of things going on in the mission field that are that are very challenging for them. We must pray for them. Do we pray for souls to be saved? Or we pray for laborers for the harvest? I mean, we know all these things. We're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We believe those things, but are we bothered and moved by those things? We can do anything we set our minds on doing, but when it comes to prayer, we sometimes are not moved. I'm just saying tonight that indifference, indifference can set in and be a hindrance to prayer. Indifference is closely linked to lukewarmness. With lukewarmness, as the Bible describes in Revelation chapter 3, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And we're at that state where we just feel very comfortable in ourselves. May we, may we ask God to help us as we, we go through our daily uh, rituals and things that God, please help me. And I got so comfortable with life and so comfortable where I'm at or so comfortable with my God, kind of how I've, I've divvied up my day that I'm not bothered to prayer. God, help me to pray as I should. Indifference is a hindrance to prayer. I think of tonight interference being a hindrance to prayer. All of us get distractions. All of us have things that interfere with our day and distractions that come up and things that kind of disrupt our day and our time. We get too busy and we crowd too many things in our day and our schedule. And our, our schedule has things overloaded because other things that happen. Maybe it's children's scheduling and maybe other things going on. Maybe a family member gets sick and ill and we've got we've to, you know, uh, just update our scheduling. And if, a lot of us probably have already busy calendars and, you know, you just add one more thing to it. And you got to, how, how am I going to deal with this issue? What am I going to do here? And, and unlike, and unfortunately, you know, all the time management gurus will tell you, well, you know, here's how you can get more out of your day's time. What they're really telling you to do is you squeeze something else out for something 
something else you're adding in. And the truth of the matter is, you can only squeeze so much out. You can only cut up so much of the pie. There comes a time you just can't do any more of that. You have to realize you've got to be wise. You've got to redeem the time, the Bible says. Redeeming the time is not necessarily adding more things to your time. It's buying up the opportunities, the Bible says. But when interference comes in, we fill up our schedule with too many things. And what happens there, we, we come to this place of trying to decide what's more important. Here's what happens. When we try to decide what's more important, many, many times for many, many Christians, prayer winds up going from here down to here. I remember the story there in 1 Kings chapter 20. The king of Syria comes in, and he's attacking King Ahab. His name was Ben-Hadad. And Ben-Hadad, uh, God, God told King Ahab, okay, I'm going to take care of him for you. I'm going to put him right where you can get him. And as I do so, what I want you to do is you need to take him and deal with the issue. And King Ahab, he had him right in his hands. But he didn't deal with it. Remember that? He let him go. And he messed up. And so God was pretty upset with him because he didn't obey what God told him. He did the same thing Saul did when he was supposed to take care of the, the king, uh, the, uh, uh, king Agag. He, he didn't, didn't deal with the issue. And so God sent a prophet. We don't know the prophet's name, but God sent a prophet at that time to go see King Ahab about that. And he went to him, and uh, he gave him a parable. And he, and he told him about this man that, that should have been captured and uh, was not, and, and, and he was allowed to escape. And he, and he used this phrase. He said, and he said, well, why did you do that? And the man's excuse was this. He says, as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. He was saying, I just got too busy. I had too many distractions. I was busy here and there, and he was gone. In other words, he said, I know it was a priority, but I didn't take care of it. Hey, listen, when we get to the place where we let the distractions get away, and by the way, we all have distractions. A lot of things happen. Sometimes we can't plan for traffic breakdowns on the, on the roads, and sometimes we can't plan for a medical emergency and things like that, but distractions come, interferences come, things happen there. And if we're not very careful, iniquity, indifference, interferences become hindrances to God. But let me give you one more. Did you write this down? Did you know impotence is a, is a hindrance to prayer? By impotence, I'm talking about our weaknesses. When you're very sick, when you're tired, I mean, I think a, a mistake, uh, I think a, a, probably a, a comment most people make, I'm just too tired. I think of the disciples. They fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when they should have been praying. Amen? They, they're right there within a stone's throw distance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they went to sleep. And they didn't go to sleep one time. They went to sleep three different times during that time Jesus was praying. And we, when, we have, when we're weak, we don't have strength. When we're weak, we're too tired. When we're weak, we're sick and sometimes ill and lacking energy. And you know how it is. When you're very sick and you're not feeling well and your body's very weak and you just, that weakness sets in. And, and man, it takes extra effort to get to the place where you can just crawl on your face and pray before God. Sometimes when we're discouraged, it's hard to pray. And sometimes when we've been hurt or we're dealing with the matter of a sin that's really holding on to us, a stronghold, we find these are difficult. I'm just saying tonight, we have to deal with the fact there are hindrances that keep us from praying without season. Listen, the devil's number one goal is to keep you out of the Bible and to keep you from praying. The devil wants to keep you off your knees because the devil trembles when the weakest Christian is on his knees praying to God. I'm going to tell you tonight, I believe the greatest prayer warrior at Heritage Baptist Church is Mrs. March Schmidt. She's up at 2 o'clock in the morning with her very weak and in, 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 in firm body. She's very weak. You have to watch her. She doesn't stumble and fall over and hurt herself. But she's up there and she gets the poles alongside of her bed. And she's praying for this church and praying for this preacher and praying for our mission. She's pouring through our prayer list that she gets every week. And she's praying about those things. But I'll tell you tonight, she could have all the excuses that she's weak, she's tired, she's hurting. But she gets on her face before God and she prays. And I'm saying tonight, we must understand, the devil wants to keep you and me from praying. The norm of the Christian life is to pray without ceasing. We see the hindrances. Would you notice, number two, the habit for praying without ceasing? 
And let me give you some stuff because right now, this portion of the message, this is the crux of what we want to look at this evening. Now, we must see prayer as a habit that, or, a daily, or as a daily discipline. It's a habit or a daily discipline. Uh, prayer should be as important to us as things we do like brushing our teeth, our daily hygiene, putting our clothes on. If some of you are very rigorous and disciplined about uh, exercise every day, I mean, it ought to be on the same priority as everything else, and even much so. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Now, what he meant by that is two things. Look back at the verse with me, because we want to break it up in two components. First of all, he said, pray. And secondly, he said, without ceasing. Now, the word pray is the word, there's several different words that you find in the New Testament that are used for prayer. The word that he's using is the most general word, which is the Greek word prosukiomai. Now, prosukiomai encompasses everything we do in prayer. It means intercessions, prayers, supplications, giving of thanks, as Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will that first of all, that men, uh, that men uh, you know, pray and give intercessions and giving of thanks for all men. He said, first of all, and the word prayer or pray is used here, speaks of every aspect of our prayer. You, some, many of you have seen that acronym, ACTS, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I mean, incorporates all of that there. And it's talking about, and what he's saying here is that same word prosukimai. He says, in every aspect, we must consider that maybe we need to break up our praying where we have a season of thanksgiving and sometimes a season of supplication and sometimes a season of intercession and sometimes a season of confession, whatever it may be. We must recognize that praying incorporates that word prosukimai. It's all aspects. Of prayer. And then he uses, uh, 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 in the Greek it's one word, but in the English it's two words. And he says we're to pray without ceasing. Now when you first read that, you look at that and you get a little apprehensive because you think, God's telling me I need to pray full time. Well, but I've got all these other responsibilities, how do I pray full time? And without ceasing means the following, it means uninterrupted prayer. Uninterrupted prayer. It means that when you start praying, and if you have to stop for a moment, that you pick right back up where you left off. It has the idea of continuous, ongoing prayer. It means continuing without pausing. I put in the title here. It means uh, not skipping a beat. It means continuing on. It keeps just continuing on. Biblical praying is the discipline of being continuously in a state of prayer, being ready to pray at all times, being instant in season, out of season. Look at Rome, uh, Luke 18, 1, would you please? Jesus reinforced this, this principle, and he said in Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to the end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, this is the secret to praying without season. We'll see in a moment there. Because in this parable Jesus uses in, in Luke 18, verse 1 to about verse 8, he's actually dealing with importunity or persistence in prayer. But he starts it off in verse 1. He says here that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He says, don't fall in the place of weakness and giving up there. Notice Romans 12, 12. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and then connected with that, notice the next phrase, continuing instant in prayer. In other words, be constantly in this mode of prayer. Go to prayer. Be at prayer. I mean, the, the, the discipline of the Christian life is prayer is not an afterthought. Prayer is our life. That's what we're thinking about all the time. There's a being the state of mode of praying all the time. To be steadfastly attentive to and to give unremitting care to this matter. To continue all the time in, in this place. Notice if you would, if you go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 or verse 42, uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says they continued steadfastly and the apostles' doctrine, the breaking bread, and in prayers. 
They continue steadfastly. Um, the Apostle Peter told the, the church of Jerusalem in Acts 6.4, he says, we must give ourselves continuously to prayer and the word of God. Colossians 4.2 says, continuing instant in prayer. The Bible principle is that prayer in our life should be, we ought to be in this continuous state of motion in prayer. We should be ready to pray. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily be articulate in our praying, but it does mean that we realize that prayer is our vital link to God, and we're coming to God continuously. Now, let me give you some things tonight that are so important, and I please take some good notes on this this evening. There are two components, two very important components to praying without ceasing, and I'm going to list them right here. Two very two important components about this habit of praying without ceasing. Would you write this down? Number one, there are the elements. I want you to see the elements of praying without ceasing tonight. The elements of praying without ceasing. So we can understand what is this principle of praying without ceasing, having a, to be in a continuous state of prayer. What does he mean by that? Okay. Now in these elements, there's going to be four things I'm going to give you under this. The first one is this. There, is persist, there must be persistence in praying without ceasing. Now persistence or importunity is, is when we, there's a matter of prayer and we give ourselves wholly to it until we get the answer from God. Now, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 11 because Jesus enumerates on this principle of persistence. Go with me to Luke chapter 11. I did not put it in your notes here, but I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 11 very quickly. We're just going to hit on some verses real quickly about this. Luke chapter 11. And by the way, if you have a neighbor next to you who doesn't have a King James Bible, would you please share your Bible with them? And notice how it starts off in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. Now, when you read that, you stop there. Wait a minute. Jesus didn't pray without ceasing. Yes, he did. He prayed without ceasing. He took, he took a moment. He, he spent his season in prayer. He knew the Spirit of God said, It's time for you to stop. By the way, praying without ceasing is being sensitive to when the Holy Spirit says, Okay, I give you permission to stop. Okay? And so the whole, Jesus stopped for a minute, but he still was in this mind of prayer. He still was ready to pray. He could have prayed at any moment. And it says, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he sees, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. In other words, they were saying this, Lord, we've heard you pray. We've been there. And we know we need, we need to improve on our prayer. We're just not where you're at, Lord. And he said, would you teach us in the same way like John patiently taught his disciples how to live for you? And so Jesus starts off. And he teaches them about the model, the model in praying. And he gives us that model in verses 2, verses 2 through 4, okay? He, sees, he talks about what should be in your prayer. And he talks how we ought to pray for our daily needs and how we address God. We should address God as our Heavenly Father. And he talks about the paternity in prayer. And, and he talks about God who's in heaven and realizing we're on earth and he's in heaven. He's in control. And, and, he, and we ought to pray in anticipation for God's kingdom to come and, and all of that. And then notice Jesus here in this, in this time of instruction in verses 5 to 13. He teaches them. And teaches us this important principle of what we call in Bible circles or, 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 or teaching circles, importunity or persistence. Because a lot of times in our praying, we bring it up, but we don't continue on. In other words, it's kind of like if I went to Pastor AJ and said, Hey, Pastor AJ, can I, can I borrow the keys to your car? And he says kind of, okay, but, but I don't go back and ask him. And uh, so he thinks, well, I guess... But Fong's not interested. He doesn't want to borrow the keys to my car. And so he's not going to come back and ask me about it, and he's not going to give me those keys, okay? But if I kept on asking, 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 eventually he's going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you can borrow my keys. By the way, when do I get my car back? Amen? He'll ask me that, right? And here's what Jesus was teaching. It was a very common principle. He talked about a man that at midnight that went to bed, 
had his family with them. They all went to bed, and it's midnight. They're all comfortable in their bed, and they're, 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 they practice, they've fallen asleep. And his neighbor from around or whatever the neighbor is, we don't know if it's next door or whatever, me, but he says, he talked about this man's neighbor, his friend, and this friend comes to him at midnight and he pounds on the door and he says, friend, would you lend me three loaves? He says, I've got a guest that's come out of town. I need, to, I, need, I need some bread. I'm out of bread. And he knew that this man whose house he came to had extra bread. He knew that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to him. He said, friend, would you lend me three loaves? Well, the man at that house who is in bed, he says, um, he says, he said in verse 7, trouble me not. Don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. Now, in Eastern culture, they didn't like getting out of bed. They hate it when you bother them to get out of bed, okay? You read about that in the Old Testament. We, we, we feel the same here in Western culture, amen? But especially back there in the, in the Eastern culture, don't get me out of bed there because that's not a good thing to do, okay? Uh, and so he says, he said, hey, listen, I got a friend that came out of town and he borrowed some loaves. Would you help me here in verses uh, six, five and six? And he says, uh, he's kind of have nothing to set before him. I don't, I don't have any food. I need to give him something to nourish him. He's been on a long journey and I want to take care of him. And the man of the house said, trouble me not. The door is Shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give these. So in other words, the man is saying, no. I'm not going to answer your, I'm not going to answer your request. But this man who has a need, he comes to him again. And he says in verse 8, here's what Jesus said. I say to thee, though he will not rise and give him, because he's his friend. Now that's an important statement there. He's saying, this man, they're friends. There's nothing this guy would have done for him except for the fact he's in bed. Hebrew culture was, Middle Eastern culture, I'm in bed, don't bother me, don't get me out of my sleep, my children are with me in bed, the door is now locked, it's too much inconvenience. He said, that's his friend, he's not going to get up. But he says this, notice verse 8, yet because of his importunity, because he persists, he will rise and give him as much as he needed. And so Jesus reinforces the principle of praying, that praying must be asking, and praying is, must be seeking, and prayer is knocking. So here's, here's what's going on there. The guy on the outside is doing this. Open the door. Open the door. I've got a friend who's got a need. I need some bread. Open the door. I have a friend that's got a need. Would you open the door? I have a friend that's got a need. I need to borrow three loaves of bread. And the man says, no, I'm not going to open the door. And Jesus is saying, listen, he's not going to open the door even though he's his friend. But because of the fact the man keeps pounding at the door, he's being persistent. He's staying at it. The man will eventually rise and give him what he asked for. Now notice what Jesus says about this. He says in verse 10, for everyone that asketh, and the idea in asking is, is repeated asking. It's having a pit bull attitude and saying, I'm not going to stop asking until I receive it. I know it's in accordance with the will of God. I know that, God, you're capable. I know that you can answer his prayer. I know that you'll be glorified through it, so I'm going to keep asking. He says, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh shall be opened unto him. And then he uses an interesting analogy that made sense to every Hebrew there. If a son should ask bread of any of you that is a father, will that father give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And then he said, he said, or asked for an egg, will he give him a serpent? He says, if ye then, being evil, not to give good gifts to your children. He says, listen, there's nothing you do for your children, amen? How much more your heavenly father give the Holy Ghost or give good things, as Matthew says to them that ask him. Importunity or prayer is the first element of praying without ceasing. We have many examples of that. Abraham had those angels visit. Remember that in Genesis 18? And Abraham saw their faces directed towards Sodom, and he knew exactly what was going on. He knew judgment's coming. And he said, but I got family down there. By the way, that ought to burden us. We got family in cities that need the gospel. We ought to pray for them. Amen, you know. 
And so he said, I got family down there. Now, granted, he had to separate from Lot because Lot was worldly, but he still loved Lot. By the way, let me just remind you tonight, sometimes someone that we love may get away. You still love them. Don't treat them like an enemy, amen? Admonish them as a brother, but don't treat them as an enemy, amen? And so he said, I've got a, I've got a nephew down there. That's my brother's son. And so... Moses, Abraham went to prayer. And by the way, the Bible says later on of him, he said, to, as he was down in a Philistine city, he said, God said to him, he's a prophet. He shall pray for thee. And so he said, listen, God, I've got to get a hold of you. I know you're, you're looking down here at this city, and, and your looks don't, don't look very promising for that city there. He said, listen, God, if you find 50 righteous here, will you spare the city? And God said, I'll, if I find 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. And then Abraham said, well, listen, God. He said, listen, I don't want to press my opportunities here. But he says, God, if you find 45 righteous, will you spare the city? And he kept praying that 45 down to 40 to 35, down to 30, down to 20, down to 10. He says, God, if there just be 10 righteous, would you spare the city? Abraham is the first example in the Bible of importunity in prayer where he persisted. He realized he had an audience with God. He had only one shot to come to God about a specific need because God was going down there. Uh, he couldn't have continued to, he couldn't have gone back this matter if God was going to send judgment. He had to avert the problem before it happened. Listen, a lot of our praying may be shallow and so superficial that we don't realize that God is honored through imp- prayer, prayers of importunity where we persist and realize this is important enough that I'm not going to let go until God does something. Hey, the prayer of importunity is what, is what Jacob did when he was at Peniel and uh, he was wrestling with the angel and his dawn was breaking and the sun was coming up the angel said Jesus said let me go and he said he said I won't let you go except you bless me that's importunity importunity is laying hold of God and resting with God and saying God I'm not going to let you go and he answered hey praying without ceasing realize there will be specific critical circumstances and situations that come in our life where we must realize how God we want to impress on God it's a burden to us it's important to us and we're not going to let go of this situation until something happens and let me tell you tonight a lot of us have unsafe families family members and friends and people we want to see saved. But I wonder sometimes if our praying is so weak and so shallow and just so quick that God wonders if we're really serious about that person getting saved. Hey, every now and then we probably need to pull off somewhere and park ourselves somewhere and pray till, until the dawn breaks, pray through the night until the sun comes up in the morning for the salvation of souls and for God to do something great and mighty. And no wonder when you read the biography of David Brennard as he prayed for the Indians he was a missionary to and John Praying Hyde who, took, who got on a ship and went over to the country of India and went to those people. These men spent more time in prayer than anything else but God blessed, blessed those men's efforts and blessed the work of God as people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We find another example in 1 Kings chapter 17 when Elijah prayed for the widow's son who had died. The Bible says he stretched himself out three times on this boy until God answers prayer. We see, we see later on that his protege, Elisha, did the same thing for the Shunammite son. He stretched himself out three times for this dead boy. He went over him. He decided, I'm not going to leave until God does something. By the way, you remember he sent his servant Gehazi there. And Gehazi did there. What Gehazi did kind of symbolizes what a lot of us do because we really don't take prayer very seriously. And, the, and he went there with the staff of Elisha in his hand. And he thought, well, if I have Elisha's staff, then maybe it's like a good luck charm. It's maybe like a rabbit's foot there. And he thought, if I just lay it on his face, something will happen. Well, he laid it on the boy's face, nothing, face it, nothing happened. And he walked out of the room. He said, well, I tried it. I used your staff. Nothing happened. You know why nothing happened? He didn't persist in prayer. 
He didn't have enough faith. He didn't believe that God could. And Elisha said, no problem. Let me take care of it. He went in there, shut the door behind him. He stretched himself over that boy. The Bible describes it this way. He had eyeball to eyeball, mouth to mouth. Basically stretched himself over that boy to symbolize the importance of coming in contact with God and coming in contact with the need that's there and getting so close that you're even risking disease and sickness, whatever it may be. You're risking losing your sleep. You're risking something there to do something. And listen, God answered that, 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 that prayer of persistence there. Read over in Matthew chapter 15. How Jesus went up the coastline there, the Mediterranean Sea, and went to the area of Tyre and Zidon. He goes to that, that, those areas where there's a, where one Gentile woman. He went there for one Gentile woman. And she had a demon-possessed daughter. And she found out, somehow she found out Jesus was in town. By the way, it's a good thing when people find out Jesus is in town. Amen? And Jesus was in town, and she besought Jesus for her daughter. And Jesus, the first time, ignored her. He was teaching a principle. And then finally she went to the disciples. She said, listen, you've got to appeal to your master. You've got to tell him I need, to get, I need him to intervene for my daughter. And finally they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you've got to tell this lady to leave us alone. She won't stop. And finally she came to Jesus and fell down. If you remember that, it says that she fell down and worshipped him. And she fell down and worshipped him. And he, this is what he said. He said, ma'am, I can't give the bread to the dogs. And she knew what he meant. He said, you're a Gentile. Jews don't intermingle with Gentiles. He wanted to see if she really meant business with God. He says, you know, we don't do business with, with, with Gentiles there. We don't throw our bread to the dog. And she said, this, this is her faith and humility. She said, truth, Lord. Truth, Lord, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm a Gentile. I'm not worthy of what your God is able to do. But she says, but even the little puppies eat the crumbs under the table. That's her faith. And Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith. That's how he described it. She had great faith. Hey, persistence in prayer is the first step to praying without ceasing. Reevaluate your prayer list. Reevaluate with your prayer time. Do you spend time in importunity and persisting in prayer over situations that are going on? Number two, there's a second element. There's persistence in praying. There must be passion in, for praying without ceasing. Now notice James chapter 5 verse 16. It says, James said, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, effectual and fervent in the Greek is one word. It basically means... Be passionate. Strong describes it or defines it as being operative and actively at work. That means being persistent. That means praying without ceasing. Hey, are you passionate in your praying? Is with fervency? I won't let you go except you bless me. Do we pray like the, the harlot, the woman, the prostitute that came to King Solomon? She and her friend, her so-called friend, they're battling over who the baby boy belonged to was her son. The other one had taken her, taken that boy and switched the babies out. Now the matter was kicked up to King Solomon to determine who was the real mother. And the Bible describes that harlot who was the real mother. Do you remember this? Her bowels yearned upon her. That meant she was passionate. And when Solomon said, I'll tell you how we're going to solve the matter. Give me a sword. I'll cut the baby in half. I'll give half to one, half to the other. And the, mother, the, 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 mother, the lady who was not the real mother said, that's a great idea. You give her half and give me a She says, nobody's going to benefit from it. And the, other, the real mother said, no, no, king. She says, you let her have the baby. I'd rather she had the baby than for you to kill the baby. And Solomon said, that's the real mother there. You know why she got it? Because of passion. 
And listen, God heard the prayers of Elijah. Elijah here, as we think about Elijah, he prayed passionately for no rain. Listen, it took mighty praying for God to shut the heavens up, let me tell you right now, and to shut the heavens up for three years and six months, as James describes. And then it took, it took real prayer to get a hold of God and pray for, rain, for, for, for God to send fire down from heaven. And right after that, he, sent a, he went higher up. By the way, when we, when we want to pray greater things for God, we've got to go higher up, Amen. He went higher up on top of the mountain. He went as high as the peak would allow him to go. He got there on his knees before God, and he prayed for rain. And listen, that servant who was there, many believe that servant may have been that, that boy that was resurrected there in 1 Kings 17. And he said, go and take a look, see if there's anything out. He said, go look at the Mediterranean Sea. And the boy looked out, and he said, okay, I'm looking. There's nothing there. He said, okay, and he prayed again. The Bible says he prayed seven times. He kept sending the boy out seven different times. He said, you just keep looking. And finally, the seventh time, the boy said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see something out there on the horizon. I see, I see a cloud. The size of a man's hand. Rain's coming. You see, passionate praying is getting a hold of God. And passionate praying is either, it's, it's kind of like John Knox. He prayed, give me Scotland or lest I die. Passionate praying is realizing we're not praying in monotones and we're not praying, we're not praying in a sense, well, if it happens, it's good. If it doesn't happen, it's, it's okay too. It's saying that if it doesn't happen, man, I can't live unless God does something here. Pastor, praying is the, is the kind of praying that gets the job done. Notice thirdly, there must be persistence in praying. There must be passion in praying. We notice in chapter Hebrews eleven six, there must we must be persuaded in our praying. I'm talking about praying without ceasing. There are elements of praying without ceasing. We got to spend more time. Just you know, a lot of times I know we have a long prayer list, but I'll be honest with you. Listen tonight, hey, there are, there are days when there are needs. You might have to just focus on just one item. This one thing I do. And pray through it until God answers that. Okay? A lot of times our praying is just so muddled. And I think a lot of times our praying, if you just record yourself praying, I think we have to do that every now and then and listen to ourselves pray. You're going to listen to yourself pray and say, man, if that's how I'm praying, no wonder God doesn't hear me. And we must realize God wants to see if we're really, if we really mean business with God. We must be persistent. There must be persistence. There must be passion. Listen, we must be persuaded. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Praying without seasons, praying with great faith. I mean, we prayed for months. We prayed for years for God to put these buildings up. We prayed for two and a half years for God to start this church. I was just telling the folks today, we had a, we had a parent meeting today with those, the parents who sent their kids to, uh, brought their kids here to, to the kids camp. And we had a good turnout of parents today. And thank God, two, two ladies got saved, amen. They referred to our church and two ladies got saved during the, the invitation there. But, you know, I was just describing about the history of our church. And, and I always like to tell people that the, the beginnings of the church weren't because it was a great idea. It was a God idea, Amen. Start of a church, the fact that God moved on some hearts and there was some prayer that went behind it. And let me tell you, it's some of you founding members here tonight, there was more humility at that point of time as we were praying for God to do something. There was a lot of humility back in those days. We need some of that humility again. We need to beg God for some things again. We begged. We didn't know where we were going to be. We didn't know how this was going to happen. And listen, you guys remember, we, got, we started there in downtown Oakland. That was, a, that was a nice area that we were in a Class A building. Then remember, we went to a no-class building out in East Oakland? Those who came after that, you ought to be thankful you weren't in that building. Amen. You know, power went out with this ugly orange carpet in the beginning. We had to clean up the baptistry that little had not just more than cobwebs in it and junk in it. It was a mess. Sewage overflowed. It was a mess in that building. But thank God, God grew the church. We went from 90 to about 170 in about 18 months' time. And that church, was, we were sharing space. They went from 40 down to 20. They said, you guys need to leave. You're overwhelming us. God was working. A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. We must have faith in our praying. Listen, praying without ceasing, saying, God, I believe that you are, that, you, that you're the God who is. But notice something else. Would you notice this? There's, there's the persistence. There's the passion. There's the persuasion. But notice there's a person. There is a person when it comes 
to praying without ceasing. In Jude 1.20, it says praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying without ceasing is being this constant mode. We're praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, we're not praying through the Holy Ghost. We pray through Jesus, amen? But we're praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, what does that mean? Well, you correlate that to Romans 8.26 and 27. That's another topic, another lesson. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. We don't have the articulation. We don't have the words. But the Spirit of God intervenes for us as, as we know in our heart God knows in our heart and our soul what we're trying to say. The Holy Spirit makes groanings for us which cannot be uttered. Now, we don't know what it is. It's some holy language between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. But he's, he's, we're, we're praying, praying in the Holy Ghost for God to intervene there. I'm just saying there is these elements. But notice the second thing tonight. Now, the, this habit of praying without ceasing, there's these elements. Please lay hold of those tonight. Spend some time studying that. But secondly, I want you to notice the extension. The extension that's in praying without ceasing. Now, I said earlier that praying without ceasing, the word without ceasing means it, that our praying is to be continuous and uninterrupted. This is constant mode. We're thinking about prayer, thinking about requests. We're lifting up people before God. Hey, how many of you feel like tonight that as you look at our prayer page and whatever else you have that's not on prayer page, there's a lot of things to pray about. Amen? I mean, you think about 100, 140 missionaries and church planters. I don't know about you, but that's more than an hour's time of praying. More than two hours' time praying if you really pray for them. You've been strongholds in Asia, strongholds in Indonesia, strongholds in Africa, strongholds in Southeast Asia, strongholds in Russia, strongholds of the upper Baltic area, strongholds all through Europe. Hey, help me understand tonight, there are major strongholds in London, England. Listen, our missionary we support in London, England needs God's power, amen? I mean, London was a bastion of the faith. I mean, they sent out more mission than anybody else. It's a tragedy. We've gone from having Baptist churches that ran 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 to now, and we just have a Baptist church running 50 people. We praise God for that. Hey, you know why? People stop praying. We're the missionaries in Scotland. We're the missionaries in Ireland. We're the missionaries in all these different places getting the work done. Hey, listen, there's something wrong when Norway and Sweden listen, listen as two of the happiest countries to live in, but you can't name one missionary that's getting the job done for God there. So there's this extension in our, in our praying. Write these things down. So when he means by praying without ceasing, when we come to prayer, as I said earlier, we, we, are, we have the ability to pick up where we left off. Luke 11, 1 and 2, Jesus ceases praying. But when he went back to praying, he picked right back up where he left. It's as if there was uninterrupted. In other words, we're, when we live in a state of conscious of prayer, we're so conscious of our walk. We're so conscious of our words. We're so conscious of our, what we do. We might offend a few people along the way because they may think we're a little bit eccentric and we're unfocused and so forth like that. So be it. But when you're in this continuous state of prayer, your focus is on God. Your focus is on heavenly things. Your focus is on God. What, are, what, what is God able to do? Listen, the greatest thing we can do is not how hard we work, it's how hard we pray, amen? And so, it's been this continuous state. We pick up as, as if we never skipped a beat. Let me give you a couple thoughts that are in your notes tonight about this extension. And I said this earlier, and this is where persistence comes in. There are certain times we will pray about a very critical matter. And when we do, we should not leave. We should be of such conviction that we will not leave until God answers that prayer. I've been there. I have a feeling I'm going to have to be there again soon. We're just going to have to be there and say, God, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stay here until, God, you do something. Secondly, 
Praying without ceasing means this, in this extension. We're to continue praying for the things that are God's will. It's God's will that we pray for people to be saved. Can you hear an amen? Okay. It's God's will we pray for people to be saved. You go a day without praying for people to be saved, you got your priorities all mixed up. We're to pray for laborers for the harvest. We're to pray for God to call men to preach. And by the way, men, you shouldn't be afraid to preach. You shouldn't be afraid of God to put his hand on your life. But starting, the starting point is you better have a life that's blameless before God. You better have a walk with God and live for the Lord. Listen, men, get out of the shadow of the success syndrome and GQ magazine and all that other junk and get into the word of God and realize, show thyself a man, amen? amen. And so the will of God is we're to pray for labor, we're to pray for people to be saved. We're to pray, we ought to pray for God's servants. Hey, Paul said this, pray for us. We pray for our families. Don't pray, God bless my family and bless my son and bless my daughter. Amen. You need to pray for God, God, the whole number of God's on their lives. And you need to pray for them that they're going through times of temptation they haven't talked to you about. And they're going through, they're struggling with some issue in their life or some fear in their life. We need to pray for God to give them victory over those things. Don't take for granted just because they haven't, they want to be troubled, they're okay. They may not be okay. They're to pray for people and events until God says we can stop praying. Then thirdly, notice something else. We're to be in a state of readiness to pray everywhere at all times. Listen to what 1 Timothy 2 says, 1 Timothy 2.8. I will that men pray everywhere. Now think with me for a minute. Everywhere. Without wrath. Without doubting. You're stuck in traffic. I will that men pray everywhere. In a hard situation, I will that men pray everywhere. Without wrath without doubting. You know what he's saying there? We have this constant state, of, we're in this constant state of mode of prayer. We have a sweet spirit that goes with that. Because if we got wrath, we got anger, we got frustration, God can't bless that. Amen? God can't bless and work in that, in that capacity. We just got to realize there, we got to let go of being so uptight about all these things and, and realize we've got to let the, the joy of the Lord work in our life. And no wonder he said, rejoice evermore before he said, pray without ceasing there. Now what you notice tonight, Paul practiced the habit of praying without ceasing. Let's get some verses with me tonight. And Paul practiced, he wasn't preaching theory. He wasn't preaching something ethereal that was out there nobody ever done. He was doing it. In Romans 1, 9, Paul said, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Wow, what an encouragement to the church in Rome. I pray always for you without ceasing. I pray for you always in my prayers. Ephesians 1.16, he told the church at Ephesus, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. I don't believe he just talked and prayed for the church. I think he prayed for names. I think he listed names. He got found out who was who. I mean, you read, you read the epistles. I mean, they knew people, and they wrote their names down. Hey, Colossians 1. He had never been to the church of Colossae, but he knew about them because of Epaphras. Notice what he says there. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then in 2 Timothy 1.3, he said about Timothy, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now here's the, here's the thing we have to look at today. We pray without ceasing. Are we, are, we, are we exercising the elements? Do we see the extension here? Do we realize that it's God's will, it's God's norm, that we pray without ceasing there? So tonight we see the hindrances, we see the habits as we close tonight. Would you notice the harvest from praying without ceasing? Praying without ceasing is biblical praying. Praying without ceasing is the kind of praying God blesses. Paul wouldn't have put that in the scriptures there without that. Let me give you some examples we're done tonight real quickly. I'm talking about the powerful results 
God blesses when we pray without seeing. There's so many, but I want you to look at a couple with me. Go with me to Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Persecution in the church, it kicked up. The Bible says in Acts 12, when Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, he went after the leaders. And the first one he went after was James, the brother of John. He killed him with a sword. That struck fear in the hearts of the believers. They made some wonder, should I keep giving my faith out? Should I keep witnessing? I mean, they had all these, and by the way, don't say they don't want, those things won't happen to you. That might happen to you too, Amen. And so that happens there, and we get to verse 3, and he saw that the Jews were pleased because he was a people pleaser. So he proceeded, the Bible says, further to take Peter also. So he said, well, I can't kill Peter right now. It's a feast of unleavened bread, but I'll take Peter and I'll throw him into prison. And Luke, Dr. Luke, gave us a very clear description of the circumstances of this imprisonment. It was an impossible situation. Do you read that? Verse 4, he apprehended him. He put him in prison. They shut the door. They delivered him four quarterings of soldiers. In other words, there were 16 soldiers guarding him. He was in a possible situation. The door was locked. He's guarded by 16 Roman, tough Roman centurions. He's not getting out of there. There's no way out from the bottom. There's no way out from the top. There's no way out through the sides. There's no way out through the door. I mean, humanly speaking, it was impossible. No way. And word got back to the church, and the church is already, they're already grieving. Man, James has been killed. He probably got killed in front of them. They saw the blood gush out. They saw his guts come out of him, and they're grieving the death of James. Now they're thinking, oh man, Peter's in prison, and he's going to die also. And listen, the church didn't know what to do except one thing. They went to prayer. And listen, we're in a sad state if we have all these strategies of what to do, and we don't pray. Would you notice verse 5? is one of the most powerful verses of all the Bible. Would you notice verse 5? Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. That means he was in hold. He was in hell. There's no way out. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. If you don't have the book, get the book by R.A. Torrey. He has one chapter on the power of prayer, one chapter on that one verse alone, it'll change your prayer life. How the church prayed, where prayer was made of the church unto God for him. There's one sermon on that that'll touch your life. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I read that as a senior in high school many, many years ago. It changed my prayer life. And when they, when they began praying, we read later on, an angel came, walked right over those, those, those soldiers, right? They went to sleep. Opened the door, he got out, and uh, Peter's released. He went back to the home, of the, the home of John Mark's mother, pounded on the door, wrote to the servants, saw him. She didn't believe what she saw. She went in, and these people were praying. They said, that's not possible. He couldn't be released. They didn't believe that, that God had released him, but God did. Amen, you know? But what I'm saying here is that here, here the, here's the harvest in praying without ceasing. Number one, the extraordinary. The extraordinary. When you cover the Bible from Genesis to Revelation... The extraordinary prayers that were, the, the extraordinary answers to prayer were prayers where they, went, they prayed without ceasing to God. Did you hear what I said? Say amen. The extraordinary answers to prayer were prayers that were made without ceasing to God. There was extraordinary. Notice the second thing. Would you notice the exceptional? Now, believe it or not, there are Old and New Testament believers that practice praying without ceasing. 
Samuel practice it. He said to the church, he said to the Israel in, in 1 Samuel 12, 23, God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. Daniel practiced it. They passed the law forbidding to pray. He still prayed morning, night, and noon. David practiced it morning, night, and noon. Jeremiah practiced it. Paul practiced it. Jesus practiced it. But can I give you two names that we don't even think about the practice? Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 37. And read about an elderly lady by the name of Anna, a widow woman. The Bible says there was one Anna, actually. Her name is Anna, or short, short for Hannah. Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow for about four score and four years. Can you imagine a widow for 84 years? Which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings. And what you notice is, and prayers night and day. And then what you notice, Cornelius, no wonder, no wonder he was the, the one that God brought the gospel through that opened the door for the Gentiles. It says about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 2. It describes him as a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. And notice he prayed to God always. You know, the exception of the Christian life is deciding, you know, prayer is so important that in my busy schedule, in my life, those elements, that extension, is what's going to make up my prayer life. We're either going to decide tonight when we leave, we're going to continue praying like we came in, or we're going to decide in these next few moments that our prayer lives are going to be different. Because the norm for the Christian life is not an option or consideration. It's a command. Pray without ceasing. The church at Thessalonica was a great praying church. They got to this place, as Paul was writing 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul sensed the Spirit's power and influence was being quenched in their lives. And he said, hey, listen, you need to get back to these practices, these best practices that will help you not to see the Spirit quenched, but to see God at work. And I wonder tonight, how's our praying? Are we praying without ceasing? Do we understand these elements of prayer? Are any of those hindrances we spoke about, sin, interferences, impotence, or weaknesses, are any of those things, are those things prevalent in our lives, keep us from praying? Let's, let's, get, let's, get our, let's get things back in sync tonight. Let's get things back in the place where God is able to work through us, and we just realize there's some critical things in our life we need to pray over and get God's power and help in tonight. Let me say this tonight as we close. Praying without ceasing is the kind of praying that has God's blessing. It's exceptional. It's the kind of praying that is needed to keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning. It's the kind of praying that, that helps us not to quench the Spirit. It's the kind of praying that means don't skip a beat. Let's pray without ceasing. Let's find our place tonight before we leave all over the auditorium. Let's find our place in prayer, seeking the face of God, that our prayer lives would change. Pray without ceasing.